You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. One of the things that as an eldership we've been looking at is um, that um, behind a lot of the teaching of the kingdom of God, with, there is no kingdom without a king. And so our focus has been radical about looking at Jesus the king, um, what, it, what it looks like, who is he. Um, next week, Monica is going to be preaching on preparing for the return of the king. But today I want to preach at looking at the kingship of Jesus um, through the seven I am emphatic statements in the Gospel of John. You know, uh, if you are a student of history, um, every monarch um, has left an expression or an action um, that people talk about in history. And it is the same about Jesus. Um, We are monarchists. Uh, and I don't mean that we, uh, that yes, there is Charles in England, but that we bow to a king and his name is Jesus. Um, and often I love the teaching of the kingdom of God and because that's what Jesus taught. But we need to stop sometimes and really understand what does it mean that Jesus is our king? Not, he, not only that he is the king, but is he the king of my life? Is my life submitted in every aspect? See, because when we truly understand monarchy, that if we lived in a rain, uh, like in the days of old, what the king said we did and what the king said you don't do, you don't do. And so it is for us uh, in, as, as believers of Jesus Christ, as followers. And so in the seven I am statements, <clears throat> um, we see that Jesus is picking up the theme Thank you for the first one from Exodus 3. And in Exodus 3, we know that Moses has an encounter uh, with the burning bush. And um, it's the beginning of the redemptive history of Israel, if you like to put it. It's the mandate of the apostolic sending of Moses. And so we read here, and it says this, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I love that. And God said, I believe that God is saying to you this morning some stuff. If God says it, are you paying attention? And God said, I am who I am. And he said, thus shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. When God calls himself the I am statement, he's talking about that he is the eternal, unchanging, self-existent, infinite, glorious in every way. <clears throat> Are we doing okay with my voice? Don't, don't get distracted by my voice. And so when Jesus picks up the I am statements that God spoke over Moses, he's actually saying, I am the existent God. I am the supreme God. I create, I speak, I dictate. I am the king of the universe. And I give life and I take life. And so the I am statements before us today are the eight, are the, uh, eight statements. Did I say eight? I did say eight statements. Uh, seven statements, eight statements of a king. And I believe they are speaking to us today. So if you've got your Bibles, we'll start with the Gospel of John, chapter 6. 
The first one, he says, he says, John 6, 32. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread of heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. So if you know the story in its context, you know, um, they were in the wilderness, they had no, no food, and they were whinging. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise that the people of God would actually whinge. Isn't it interesting that we've seen God do miracles, God do the breakthrough, and then a little bit of testing, we start complaining about God, and we forget what God has done in our lives. But when, the, when Jesus decrees something, it means that he's present. And so he says, I am the bread of life. Not only do I provide in the physical, but what he's saying here, as I provide manna in Exodus 6 from heaven, so I am now your nourishment, your spiritual nourishment and your physical nourishment. So we are so keen to go to Jesus for the stuff we can get, but he's more interested in your soul and in your spirit. He wants us to feed on him. Not only does he give us bread, he is the nourishment. He is the presence of God. He does bring bread into our life. He feeds our soul with fresh manna. When we take communion, we read this, do this in remembrance of me. In fact, we should be doing communion every day because he is the bread of life. We grew up in a very poor family on the mission field. Very poor. Hardly sometimes had food on the table. But there's one thing we always had, is fresh bread. My mom and dad would get a bit of flour and a bit of water, a bit of yeast, and you could smell it. We would wake up in the morning. And it's quite emotional for me because it's comfort food. And it shows in my tummy. But there's something about eating fresh bread. There's something about eating the bread of life in Jesus daily. Coming to him for all of our needs. And so when we have communion and we break bread together, it says, this, do this in remembrance of me. It's about doing this in the presence of God. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he reminds us this morning, don't forget where your nourishment comes from. The second one comes from John 8 and 9, the Gospels. He says, I am the light of the world, the presence of his glory. And Matt's been honing in lately on Isaiah chapter 6. I see the Lord seated on the throne and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. I see the Lord and his glory brings light in a dark world. We live in a very dark world, people. And you and I are called to be Jesus into our world. Not to be bland, not to be like everybody else, but Jesus says, I've come in the dark places to shine. And now I'm asking you to do the same thing. Because I am with you. My presence goes with you. John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I love that. Not only does Jesus shine light, he is light. See, when we go in the streets of Dandenong, Indonesia now, Singapore, New Zealand, we, here in church, we bring the presence of God. 
And the presence of God brings lightness to people, brings where there is darkness and sin. We change the atmosphere. We change the atmosphere. And so when the king says, I am the light, it means darkness cannot push me back. In fact, we know that after Jesus spent two and a half days uh, in the grave and he rose on the third, death could not hold him down. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Death could not hold him down. It says, death, where is your sting? I love that in the words of Paul. He takes it on. He says, because Jesus is life and he's light into our world. You and I are called every day to shine the light of Jesus in a dark world. Don't back off. Be the presence of Jesus into your dark world. Thirdly, three and four I am statements come together from John 10. And John 10 must be my favourite chapter in the Bible. John 10 verse 7. Jesus is the door and Jesus is the good shepherd. Time out for a minute. How are we doing? We're doing okay. Amen. Amen. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have life more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And I'm done, I get undone every time I read that, that he gave his life for us. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leads the sheep and flees and the wolf catch the sheep and scatter them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. What a beautiful picture. Not only is Jesus the door, he's also the shepherd. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And you have to understand that in the Old Testament, the concept of door wasn't as prevalent as the idea of shepherding. And so what Jesus is doing now is giving a gentle reminder of what happens in Deuteronomy 12 and Ezekiel 34. He's correcting the bad shepherds of Israel. He says, but I'm not like that. And he reminds us, I'm not like that. So it's easy when we forget and we go through hard times that Jesus is the good shepherd. But he says, whether we go through good times or bad times, he said, I've earned the right on the cross to be your good shepherd. I paid the price for you and I am the door. See, in those days, a sheep's pen was kind of in cylindrical fashion, had only one opening and the the shepherd would sleep all night across the door. He was the door. And so nobody came in, nobody came out. I grew up on a mission field where this, I saw this daily in the island of Sardinia. And so Jesus lays down his life the King of glory, to protect us and then to guide us and to look after us. He says, I am the door of your life. But it's also a reminder, there are doors that He opens that we go through. But I feel the Holy Spirit said, there are doors that He closes, don't go through them unless He opens them. We try to push doors and open doors that He has shut. 
because he has the keys to the kingdom. He gives them to us in Matthew 6. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. He reminds us that he is the good shepherd. No matter where you are today, on the mountaintop, on the valley, we have a good shepherd that leads us by, 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 by still waters. He comes, unlike the shepherds of Israel of old, he says, I've come to, to bring healing, to bring deliverance, to bring breakthrough in your life. Sometimes it's good to just to stop because sometimes in our language, we become a little bit familiar with who Jesus is. Sometimes we need to stop and say, that's right. He is the door of my life. I am protected. The thief comes to steal and destroy, but he is at the threshold and he's my good shepherd. My good shepherd. I shall not want. How often do we come to Jesus? I want, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. Sometimes we need to just stop. See, I love the more of God. I love the more of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we need to stop and say thank you. Thank you. What are you thankful for this morning? Even the doors that Jesus has shut on your life, are you thankful for them? Because I want to say to you, they protected you. I've had many doors shut in my face. Even prophetic words. Now the prophets are getting nervous. Because if he utters it, if the king utters it, it will be. But if the king did not utter it, it will not happen. The Bible says not one word shall return to him void. Not one. I get comfort in that. If something hasn't happened, it's because he hasn't decreed it. Or it's not his timing. Peace, baby. <laughs> he is my good shepherd. But make no mistake, he's not a little gentle shepherd. In the island where I grew up, in the island of Sardinia, shepherds had a big uh, stick. But every shepherd had a rifle. And they protected their flock. Part of the eldership is to protect the flock. And there are days coming, and I'm not a prophet of doom, where people will come and steal the sheep from the body of Christ. And we need to get our rifles out. This one. And refute every word that opposes itself to the kingship of Jesus Christ. There is no compromise we are people of the Word of God. We are people of Jesus. We worship Jesus. We bow to Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus plus nothing and minus nothing. He is the good shepherd. And we worship Him. We worship Him in our homes. We worship Him in our schools. They're trying to ruin our schools. They're trying to ruin our education. I want to say the days will come where you and I will be tested. Is he your king? Number five. Number five. I'll try that again. (laughs) Number five. (laughs) Help me, Jesus. Number five. He is the resurrection and life. John 11, 25. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Two people said yes. yes. I'll say it in English. Do you believe this? Yes. Better. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. One of the key doctrines, one of the key statements why you and I are followers of Jesus. Can I encourage you to use the word follower of Jesus rather than just say to people, I'm a Christian. Can I just say that? I was in New Zealand and I met an interesting guy last week. He hated God. And I called myself a follower of Jesus and it stumped him. He knew who I was. But Christians give Christianity a bad rap. Can I say that? Can you say, please, I am a follower of the Christ? And so here Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Similar to the other IAN statements, Jesus does not just talk about what he can or what he can give, but who he is. He gives life. The Greek word zoe means he gives life abundantly. John 10.10, 10. Jesus brings life. If there's death in your life, and I don't mean physical death, but things that are dead right now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? Because if he brings life and resurrection power and you're not experiencing that, then I want to say that something else is. Tough comment, isn't it? Because if he brings resurrection power, then maybe you need to get rid of some stuff. Maybe we just need to make some adjustments, one degree of separation, and say, you know what? Actually, if I'm really honest, he's not the resurrection power in my life because I put other things in my life. And so the Old Testament reference, because all these I am statements have got a reference in the Old Testament that Jesus is using. And we know that all of the Old Testament points to Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah. But the, he's referencing the Genesis, the Genesis, one, two, and three. And God said, and it was. And there was ex nihilo, the theologian says, out of nothing he created. God just spoke the word. See, God is the master prophet. Prophecy is never about saying something. Prophecy is always about creating. And God said, let there be light, and there was. And God said, let there be an expanse of river, and there was, so I could go fishing. <laughs> Hallelujah. I caught a seven-pound trout. I'm a happy boy. And so he's referencing here the same voice, the same God that spoke is here before you right now. I am the resurrection. So when he goes to Lazarus, and I love the fact that he called Lazarus by name. He could have called, just say, wake up, rise up, but he didn't because he wanted to demonstrate that Lazarus had to rise up. Not everybody else. He wanted to make an illustration by using Lazarus. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is bringing resurrection power in some aspects of your life this morning. When the I am says, I am the resurrection, it means that he's calling life back into you this morning. He says, come on, it's time to live again. 
it's time to rise up again. It's time to march on again. You were so on fire. You did so many things, but now you've taken your eyes off. Resurrection power is what we're on about. Resurrection power. And so just as the first Adam died, now the second Adam, who's Jesus, rose from the grave and comes back to us. While many of the Jews wanted things from Jesus without having to receive and believe in Jesus, the offer of Jesus is himself. Isn't that beautiful? We often want stuff, even in the Holy Spirit. Can I offend us this morning? We, we want a ching-ching Jesus. You know, you don't play the pokies, obviously. You, you good Christian people. Not to say that I do. But often we come to Jesus, we give our tithes and offerings, we attend Sunday, and then we expect that during the week, he's obliged to do anything. But I've been confronted by this. If the resurrection is Jesus, the resurrection never did one more thing for me, is that good enough? Otherwise, the, sing, the, the songs that we sing are lies. We're kidding ourselves, people. We're kidding ourselves. But conversely, when those lyrics are true in my life, his resurrection power comes alive and people around us know it. So a guy on Sunday gave his life to Jesus at Dandenong. Amen? What do you think that is? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Resurrection power. Every time we go at Dandenong, every time we go on mission, when Matt and the team and, and Gab in Singapore, you know what we bring? Resurrection power. No other faith, no other religion has what you and I have. He rose from the grave and he's coming back. And it says this in Romans, the same power that lived in him is in you. The same resurrection power lives inside of us. You have resurrection power. You carry the DNA of Jesus. So when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, you carry life. And often you have to carry life where there's death all around us. All around us. To speak the love of Jesus. We have families here, Melbourne Lights, who've lost dear ones recently. And we bring resurrection power to them. We bring the life of Jesus. We become family to them. That's resurrection power. Number six, John 14, verse six. I got John 16, six, but I think it's John 14, six. Might have made a mistake. He says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, it is John 14, by the way. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's not a way, not an optional faith guru. He's not a religious or moral order. He is a king. And he demands our obedience. His love language, his love language in 1 John 4 is obedience. And you might think it's too tough. Well, I think the cross, the cross was a lot tougher than obedience. He is the only way to the Father. He is eternal life. He's not a truth. He is the truth. I love this in the Gospel of John and the Epistle of John. 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The reason why he can speak is because he is the Word. The reason that he can utter and say, I am the truth, is because he is truth. He is way. He is life. So when you or others around you want to question that in your behaviour, maybe a little bit of sin here and a little bit of compromise here, you're going against the decree of a king. Love on me, people. He wants obedience. He doesn't want to be your part-time lover. We're not having an affair with Jesus. Offensive words, aren't they? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. You know, not optional truth, not I'll I'll choose a little bit of the word, a little bit not of the word. No, I am the truth. He is truth. He is the way. He is everything. When's the last time you stopped, laid down your crown, bawled your eyes out and said, my goodness, I put myself on your throne. Forgive me. And the last one, John 15. Thank you, Jesus. The voice is still there. I am the true vine, and my father is the wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that may bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken over you. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. I won't read the rest to save my voice. Everything we do, everything we are, has to be intertwined in King Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done. When he says, I am the vine, was a concept really well known to the Jewish people. They understood it. They had, they had you know, vineyards all around them. And the vine is an expression of Israel in God. They understood it really well. But he's saying the same to us. Is my life enmeshed into that of Jesus? Do I breathe for the audience of one? Do I live for the audience of one? Is my money, uh-oh, uh-oh, is my money submitted to Jesus? Does he own everything? My old pastor said this, show me your attitude towards money and I'll show you your walk with Jesus. Oopsie-daisy. Because it exposes the heart, doesn't it? And so he says, there is no Christian unless we are intrinsically one with the vine. The vine gives life to the branches. The vine allows fruit. It brings everything. Abide in me. Intimacy with Jesus, with the King, is where we're called right now. And here in the last I am statement, Jesus speaks of a vine, a common symbol in Israel. The language of the unfruitful branches is tied to Israel as the desolate vineyard of Isaiah 5. And in Jesus, he both fulfills Israel's destiny and he becomes the glory for the future. Seven I am statements. Seven decrees about his authority as the king in our lives. I want to challenge you this week to go and read them again.
read all seven and ask the Holy Spirit, in which area have I not laid down my crown before you? In which area do I need to walk closer to you? Do I trust you that you are my bread of life? Do I trust you that you are my resurrection power? Am I living in resurrection power? Amen? Am I living in the fullness of the glory of God? See, we were never meant to be wimpy Christians, but we've got the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, the same power. Do you know about that Jesus is the life and the light and the truth? Are you questioning stuff? Can I ask you, read the Word of God. There's a lot of people who interpret the Word of God. But I want to say, is your belief system radical in the Word of God? Don't read other commentaries and books and people's opinion. I couldn't give a rat's about people's opinion. I want to know what the Word of God says. And the only reason and the only way I can find out is by reading it. This Bible that I love is about to fall apart because we read it and I love it. It's my roadmap. So many people argue about lofty philosophy. But is it the word of the king? Does it bow to the word of the king? What aspects do you need to bow before Jesus? What we're on about is about a king, a beautiful king who laid down his life for us. I want to ask you today, do you know that king? The Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's the sinner's saviour. He's the centrepiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient saviour. Do you know him today? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathises and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he, he guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. He is the key of knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the pathway of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He is the highway of holiness. He is the great way of glory. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. I wish I could describe him to you. He is indescribable. He is incomprehensible. 
He is invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him. You can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out that they could not stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't hold him down and the grave could not beat him. That's my king. Shall we stand? But I'm quite serious about this. We pay so much attention to so many voices out there, so many statements out there. And the king has given us seven I am statements to live by. I want to encourage you this week to go and read them and read them and read them and let the Holy Spirit transform you right now. We live in a beautiful time in history. We are, have entered into a season, I think, of revival where the king will not compromise with his people, where the king will demand our obedience, where the king will say, will you fight the good fight? Will you run the race? I wonder where you are today. I want to ask this morning, do you know Jesus? I'm going to pray, then I'm going to hand over to Olive. But I want to encourage you as an older brother, don't waste time. Don't waste time. You might say, oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'll worship him tomorrow. I'll lay down my crown tomorrow. This week we found out through a tragic situation that tomorrow may never come. Today's the day. Today is the moment. Now, here at the altar of consecration is your time to say, you know what? I'm going to lay down my crown. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.